0: Hit it,
1: Joe!
0: You all know my
1: Uncle Monty,
0: don't you? Monty the Magnificent at your service. So it's Marty! How are you all? you coming to see Uncle Monty's Big Benefit Show?
1: You know, a long time ago, being crazy meant something.
0: Nowadays everybody's crazy. <laughs>
2: I went out on a date uh, with someone I met on Plenty of Fish, and uh, she seems like a nice person. But when she got into the car, she had a uh, fragrant bouquet. Have you ever gone out with someone with a fragrant bouquet?
1: Yeah, uh, you know the the fragrant bouquet can emanate from many places, and uh, you know depending on where it's coming from, the source, uh, you know it can be tolerable or not.
2: Huh. Yeah. You know, I think she may have been menstruating. And I once had a gay roommate who I think really had a hard time with women. He once said to me, I hate women. When I'm in an elevator and I know one of them's having their period, it just bowls me over. And I'm (laughs) like, how can you smell that? And he just thought, for a gay man, there is nothing more frightening than a vagina.
1: Well, and the, and this, the, the smell of a woman in heat right he he, he experienced that differently i guess
2: You're right he, he experienced that differently Like, but
1: but for you when you smelled it like with your date uh you know did the pheromones like tickle your 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 male
2: lizard brain or what happened well i think pheromones aren't they more subconscious i think what this was was just um a lack of freshness she hadn't freshened up down there. It didn't. It didn't smell fresh. Who knows where it was? It was just kind of. a, It was pungent. It well, was what like made you? What made you think it was menstruation? I don't know. It was just. Uh, I could be wrong. It was just sort of a, a pungent, you know, kind of bouquet. What, that 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 really you know was strong. What you know? what what notes were you picking up in the in the bouquet? <laughs> That's you obviously. You know, you're like a. This, a sommelier of menstruation, aren't you? Yeah, I, I like to think of myself as something of a something of a gourmet, a gourmand. <laughs> right, right. Well, it was it was hard for me to like really tell what was going on. I just knew it was distracting. You know, I think the pheromones of which you speak those are somewhat subconscious, and like the the pheromones, and there's a specific pheromone that men exude from fresh sweat that are very seductive to a women to women and i think it's the same for like men i think men pick up on women's pheromones right you know but but this wasn't about that there was something kind of pungent
1: i don't even know if pheromones come through menstrual blood probably not but probably not uh, look what was your reaction was it was it you know sickening was it uh arousing a little of both what was
2: it i it was a turn off Mm. yeah i um it was it was hard to kind of get through, and she's a very nice person, but there was just a certain, you know, kind of it was just pungent. It was a pungent bouquet. You keep
1: coming back to that pungent, right? And you're not giving me any notes now. Were, were there hints of uh, dog leash, or did it did it smell like a well ridden horse? Or <laughs> I, uh,
2: you know what? I, I don't really kind of harbor the palate that you do as far as. Bouquets are concern. I mean have you ever gone out with someone with a with a foul bouquet and what did you do about that? How were you well to certainly that
1: you know uh, certainly' I've, I've smelled you know women who are menstruating when they yeah I mean like you were saying when they don't clean and uh, you start getting some clotting you start getting you know a little bit of scab maybe forming uh, you know having washed recently it will really start to smell a little bit like a dead animal. And you might start to think that maybe, you know, there was a mouse that died in the house or something like that. And then you start sniffing around and everything kind of leads to this unwashed crotch. And, you know, uh, that's kind of, that's that's one foul scent. But then, you know, there are other women who like, who who don't really clean their ass. You know? Right. And right. that's a whole other, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> right. Didn't you tell me one time you, you had sex with a woman in your bed? And then after she left, you came back and you discovered that she'd left like a little nugget in your bed (laughs) or some skid marks or something.
2: It was sort of like, you know, the emoji for for poo. Yeah. It was just like that. That's what was left in my bed.
1: Kind of like a soft serve with a swirly top. It was like a
2: soft swirl with a swirly top. And uh, yeah, I just don't know how that happened, but it really bummed me out. I went out with a. A woman, and so that's one thing. But as far as vaginal, foul vaginal bouquet, I went out with this woman. I had met her online as well. And she shows up at my house in July wearing a Christmas sweater. So I know we're off to like a bad start. So she's kind of an exotic personality. She's a hardware engineer, and those are exotic personalities for sure. Mm. So she shows up with a Christmas sweater and she's got like a photo album, and like the photos are falling out of the photo album, you know, from her childhood. So she's a, a, like kind of a quirky person. So, you know, we have like a little dinner, and then she's like a little frisky. And so we end up in bed, and I, you know, I'm like, she's okay. And so I pull off her pants, and literally my eyes start watering. It's <laughs> so bad. <laughs> My eyes are watering. It's burning my eyes. And she wants me to go down on her. And I'm trying my best. And, like, my eyes are watering. And it had to be some sort of horrible bacterial infection because literally I, 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 was, I, I was gagging as I attempted to do it. Which
1: which, or, it, which orifice
2: was it emanating vagina, from? Oh, okay. Vagina. Mm. And it, it made me realize what animals men are you know despite every single resistance she was giving me i still wanted to have sex mm, you know right. i mean she was exuding this odor that was uh,
1: isn't that funny like how you'll just fight past it and it, you know as much as you can it, <laughs> <to> beca- <clears throat> because the the overwhelming urge is just it overpowers whatever competing repellent nauseous feeling you have.
2: Right. right. I mean, the biological imperative is fascinating, right? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that men behave as well as they do. Considering you hear all of these stories called it's our time. What is the, what is the new campaign now that women have? It's like, uh, times up times up. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously there's monsters and uh, guys that should be buried under the prison. But for the most part, think about how hard it is for men to behave. It's really a challenge with what we've you know, with the curse that we bear. The biological imperative is a curse, don't you agree?
1: It, it is hard to manage and it uh, it's responsible for all kinds of horrible behavior, I'm sure. You know, you look at the millions of sperm swimming up the, uh, the fallopian tubes in competition with, you know, one single minded goal to reach the ovum you look at you know the the salmon swimming miles and miles up up you know against currents in a river and they get to the final destination the eggs and they shoot their load and then they fucking die that's all it's just you know their whole life is just insemination right and yeah sometimes i mean you know especially when you're a young man you just you know your the biological imperative takes over and you don't even realize what's happening And, you know, you turn into Harvey Weinstein or something. You just, you know, you're a fucking rapist. And you've got to catch yourself and be like, what am I
0: doing?
2: Have you ever gone out with anyone who looked like a celebrity? Mmm...
1: You know, everybody looks like some celebrity, don't you
2: think? Yeah, sort of. Did any People of...
1: used to say my ex-wife looked like uh, Mariah Carey. Really? Yeah, I mean, everybody looks like somebody.
2: Huh. I once went out with a Chinese woman who looked just like Gary Shandling.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, I mean, the same nose, same eyes.
1: That's a little bit like the stink. Right. Somebody, a, a woman who looks like that, You'll be willing to overlook it as long as, you know, there's sex available. You'll drive past that Gary Shandling face to get to the goods for as long as you can stand it until,
2: you know, you blow your wad, right? Am I wrong? Well, I have to say the bouquet, it wouldn't have mattered if she looked like a young Farrah Fawcett. I just think that bouquet was hard to overcome. It just overpowered. And then after she left, I said, hey, I have to tell you, I think you have a serious infection. And you should do it because you're going to fuck up the next guy who you go out with. He's going to (laughs) be fucked up from that. He's going to be a mess. And then he won't be able to have like a relationship. It's going to be so destructive. How would it how would it fuck him up? He's gonna just be emotionally ruined by it, just from I mean, inhaling psychologically it. Psychologically damaged from it, yeah. So I just well, th- maybe
1: you could weaponize something like that. You know, <laughs> think of the wars you could you could win by just
2: <laughs> releasing that odor on oh the battlefield. My, oh my god! But the woman who looked like Gary Shanling, I didn't dwell on it, you know. And she had so many other great qualities that offset the fact that she looked like Gary Shanling. I know, I went out with another older Asian woman who looked a lot like. Burgess Meredith. Mm. And so you know Burgess Meredith, the trainer from Rocky, right? You're a bum rock. (laughs) Right. Well, she would actually say stuff like that during sex. Not you're (laughs) a bum Rocky, but kinda like, I'm the best. I'm the best. (laughs) And she looked just like Burgess Meredith while she was saying it. So she ever do any penguin for you?
1: (laughs) But you know, she
2: would she had some clever moves, you know, and I met her at a hot tub at the Y. And, you know, she just got done swimming and we're talking. And so we went to uh, Beach Chalet for a drink. And then she was like, why don't we go back to my place? And we went back to her place. And it was kind of like, you know, kind of this underground lair. And I go, oh, she's this eccentric, you know, millionaire. She was the penguin. (laughs) And she she lives underground. (laughs) But then after I got to know her a little bit, I think she was, you know, the relative of someone who kind of put her down there, kind of like out of sight, out of reach, because she was like a little cuckoo. But, uh, yeah. During what was this,
1: like a, a uh,
2: an in-law apartment or something? Yeah, it was like an in-law apartment. Mm. So, yeah, she looked a lot like Burgess, Burgess Meredith, and then she talked like Burgess Meredith during sex. She would say, like, I'm the best. Tell me I'm
0: the best.
1: You've mentioned several Asian women. I mean, it kind of brings up, you know, so tell me about your, your kink for Asian women and how that developed. It comes up
2: a lot. And so here's my take on it. Mm. When I was a kid reading literature, even like in third grade, you'd read about women who were, who were blonde, hair, fair-haired maidens, who were virtuous, um, pure, innocent. And then the women with black hair, raven black hair, were wanton, temptresses, filled with desire. So even when I was a kid, that put it in my head that these were the women who were the most fun. Okay, but so then why
1: aren't you dating, you know, brunette white women, brunette Latina women? I'm
2: down with that. Uh,
1: You're pretty pretty into the Asians.
2: I am, but it's not for any sort of... It's got to be more than the black hair. Well, I, I think another reason might be my, I've been told this by people who are older and wiser than me. Every night at dinner was like a Greek opera at my house. You know, it was very dramatic. People wore their heart on their sleeve. You know, so maybe I'm interested in um, cultures with Confucius teachings. You know, which is much different than mine. It's like these are women who have grown to learn that it's all about ballast. You know, um, not too high, not too low, you know, kind of keeping your emotions kind of, you know, in balance. So I think maybe that appeals to me. It's so different from my upbringing. So that's uh-huh. that's intriguing to me.
1: OK. Yeah. I think you got yellow fever. <laughs> <laughs> no?
2: Well, I, I hope it's not that, you know, I mean, obviously I find Chinese culture in particular to be a wonderful, beautiful culture. But I know there's some creepy dudes out there that like Asian women for all sorts of fucked up reasons. Like, oh think? they're submissive. Uh-huh. Sound like a dumb white guy. Yeah. You know, but those that's not what's that's not what interests me. The submissiveness. It's, it's not, not interesting. No, that's not that as a matter of fact, I think that's a turn off.
1: Do you do you prefer Asian women who are, you know, foreign nationals or American born? Or do you have a preference?
2: I don't have a preference
1: you think that that a foreign Asian woman can't really get a read on you as far as where you fit into American culture and so you can present yourself better to her without having her
2: pigeonhole you all right so that's an interesting thing right let's say somebody is weird like and then you would kind of chalk it up to just being a cultural thing right let's say for instance let me put myself let's say I meet someone from a different culture and I'm trying to get to know them and they exhibit some quirky behavior, I might give them the benefit of the doubt um, assuming that maybe it's a cultural thing. Uh And uh, I don't think the same thing applies to a woman, for, for instance, from... China, I think they're very much into kind of gathering information and kind of figuring out who this person is. Like there is a woman on POF who just wrote me the other day and she goes, I'm really intrigued by your profile. Tell me more about you. Do you rent or own? That was one (laughs) of her first questions. And so I, you know, I answered and uh, I said, that's such a funny question to ask. And so then I uh, wrote her back a second time and I go, hey, there's this thing at the museum you want to go. And she said, uh, 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 my gut tells me we're not a good match. (laughs) And so then I wrote back, does your gut rent her own? (laughs) What do you think turned her gut against you? Well, probably me kind of calling her out on the fact that that's a question maybe you want to ask later on. Do you rent her own? (laughs) That it's you're actually uh, a victim to your own corrupt checklist of what you're looking for. True. You know, you could own and have some severe personality disorders. You could rent for very smart economic reasons. For instance, last year, I could have bought something significant, but I chose to put that money into something else, not to rent. To me, that wasn't a good financial decision. So even the question itself... Isn't really a great way to vet who this person is.
1: Yeah, I've asked women before when dating online whether they rent or own, mainly because I want to find out if they uh, if they outclass me. Really? Uh, you know, because like if I date someone who's you know very much wealthier than me, then uh, right off the bat I know I'm at a disadvantage.
2: Right. But who knows? Maybe she would pity you. <laughs> I could put that on my
1: profile. Looking for someone to pity me.
2: (laughs) There is nothing that says love more than pity, right? Discretion's the better part of valor. Isn't pity the greater part of love? (laughs) So, so, but there are women. For instance, like when it comes to men, it's interesting, right? Like the woman who works at McDonald's to me is no less important than the woman who is... You know, the VP of PR at a high tech company, you know, just as long as they look good, right? So, like, your status isn't that important to men, is it? Men don't care about status. Well, some men probably do,
1: but they probably care about it less than women. You know,
2: women want to get to know everything about you. They're like, they want to, you have to really do an audition. You know, they want to know your past, your relationship with your parents your uh your uh, job history and men don't care women start at the penthouse and men start literally at the basement we just start with the pussy and then we'll find out later whether you can read or not (laughs) (laughs) we don't even care if you can read we'll figure that out later
1: we start with the genitals (laughs) and then we'd like to add on to that right? if we can.
2: But that's where we start. Yeah, and we'll find out later whether you can read, you know, if you have a criminal history. You know, I met a woman online who uh, was eventually put in jail for 16 years. But yeah, when I first met her, you know, she had an engineering background, and her ex-husband was an engineer, and she kept telling me, man, you should hear my story sometime. (laughs) And I kept thinking yeah you're an engineer how interesting can your story be (laughs) and so she'd keep telling me it was like right out of a twilight zone you should know my story sometime i'm like yeah 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 yeah. you had two kids you're married to an engineer you're an engineer how interesting could it be and she had started this fraudulent university making money by selling like student visas Right. right it was just uh it was there was no attempt to actually get accreditation Or have classes or even hire teachers. It was just basically she was getting out visas. And I think it was with such a disregard for the law. And I think they asked her to close it down a couple times. And she didn't. And it was Homeland Security took issue with it. right?
1: And, well, and she was making a lot of money too, right? She so, made
2: a fortune.
1: Yeah, like it was like millions.
2: She, <clears throat> she made millions from it. Did you see any any outward signs of her wealth? Yeah, I actually went to her palatial state. It was like on a golf course. It was like what what are those golf courses where you have to like sign in? It was a gated community. Yeah, and so she had like a huge mansion. Huh. You know, of course, it was a Christian university, right? You know, and she had like a crucifix in every room of the house. And I went there like right before her trial, you know, and I still was very confused about this whole dynamic. She made it seem like, oh, this was going to be a slam dunk. It was just a technicality. They were just going to like, you know, maybe slap her wrist and make an apology. And I remember going over there that night and like all the heat. It was a cold night and everybody, her mother and father were over and there was a, a bunch of other Chinese people, and it, it, there was just this dark, somber mood in the house, you know, like, uh, maybe we're not going to get out of this this time. <clears throat> well, yeah. what, had, what had happened? Well, I think there were enough people who could testify against her that the whole thing was, like, uh, was, uh, was, uh, was fraudulent that it wasn't
1: uh oh so you mean at this point uh she'd already gotten arrested and no not no. well well, what she
2: had done was i knew her after she she had been you know charged and this is before the trial so she had been charged but the trial hadn't taken place yet okay and so she goes you can look me up you don't know about me and i'm like well what's there really to know you're just this boring engineering woman
1: Back up. Didn't you tell me that she was like behaving really weird? Like she said she
2: wanted to have a baby with you or something? Yeah. The first day she came over, like, uh, so she comes over and, uh, you know, I'll say anything, you know, to get laid (laughs) because I'm a rogue. I mean, you know, when life denies you the ability to love and connect, whether it's due to nature or nurture, then you have a lot of really bleak, tragic stories like mine. So I'd like to blame nature, and I'd like to blame nurture for who I am. And so when both nature and nurture have conspired against me to make it hard for me to find true love and intimacy and a deep connection, I have a lot of bleak stories, which which has led to these tragic anecdotes that – Feature a little bit of pleasure, but just mostly sadness. Yeah. So, so like she comes over and she's looking pretty good. First date. Yeah. And, uh, and she goes, Oh, I want to have a baby. I want to have twins. And I'm on, uh, I'm on like, what is the, the, you take to like in, ensure, better ensure insemination? Uh, it's called, you're taking, uh, Oh, she was taking some kind of uh, fertility pills. She was taking fertility pills, oh. so she came over. Maybe she thought that help her case if she was <laughs> pregnant with twins. In hindsight, I'm like, because like, right away she goes, she goes, I want to have twins, you know. And uh, I'm like, Oh yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, hey, how do you think? Let's go to bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like you're 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 ready to you know just get her knocked up or no? It was just more like I was agreeing anything just to
1: just, have sex. So and, so did you did you have unprotected sex with her?
2: Yeah, but then you know I pulled out. <laughs> right, but but you know like she's good looking. You know it's it the, the, there's this crazy dynamic from the word go, which is you know uh, right up my alley. I'm all I'm all on it, and so so first date. She tells you she wants to have a kid. Just as soon as she walked in the door.
1: You're like, sign me up. Right. You roll the dice. You get in there barebacking. Right. You 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 pull out. And, uh, I mean, did you guys talk about, like, did you have names for your kids and stuff? Or
2: <laughs> Well, um, things started getting kind of odd right after that. Like, she'd come over very clingy clingy in a way that made me at one point early on say I need you to sleep on the couch (laughs) and she said to me I live in a castle and I come here and you make me sleep on the couch and I'm like yeah (laughs) I go I go I yeah pretty much it was just everything was wrong about the dynamic you know I, I you look back on it and you're like how could that be, but at the time it was uh, very quickly it went from being sexy and exciting to being insufferable.
1: And at this point, she was already in <clears throat> legal hot water. She
2: had been, but I didn't. When did
1: she When did you first find out about that?
2: She told me like the first night she came over, she goes, oh my god, you should find out, I should tell you my story, you know, or they should write a book about me. And I thought this was just like some boring individual who Thought they had an interesting story to tell about the time they went to Spain to teach English, you know, or something. But she really had. So at this
1: point, she had been arrested, charged, and was free on her own recognizance. Right. Awaiting trial. That's correct. And so did she tell you about, you know, her arrest experience?
2: No, she didn't get into that. She showed me the court papers you know, and I didn't, I couldn't make, it just kind of sounded like they had problems with her school. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so it was an online school. And she was sort of forthright with that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But um, later on, so then I decided, you know, I needed a break from this. But then we kind of reconnected, not romantically, but we did something, we went out, and she was... um such a different person, you know, it was almost like had a split personality. And uh, had something happened to her since the last time you saw her? No, I just think um, you either could make her happy or you couldn't. And if you could make her happy, then you were valuable. And if you couldn't, she had no interest in you. And her behavior was, was, um, it was just so stressful to be with her. <laughs> and so then on Valentine's day, she wanted me to come up and that's when I went to see her mansion. She goes, let's spend Valentine's together. And cause I need to like, you know, my trial's going to start soon and I don't know if I'll have time then. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. I kind of yeah. miss you. You know, even if a woman's insufferable, then maybe after a while you kind of pine for her. So I'm like, Oh yeah, that one time was good. And so I went up there and that's like when there was, you know, her parents seemed to be over and everyone, you know, there was these other Chinese people and there were some arrangements that were, they were kind of making, you know, maybe like how the money was going to be laundered, who knows what, you know, it just seemed to be very clandestine conversations. And then when that was all done, you know, I'm like going through her house and there's artificial flowers and crucifixes everywhere. (laughs) And uh, then when that's all done, she's like, all right, you got to go. I'm busy. (laughs) And so then I, you know, there was a bunch of shoes at the front door. I took the shoes and I threw them about the lobby. I was so angry. (laughs) (laughs) And then I wrote her an awful text message that I hope you rot in jail because I thought there's no way that it would ever be that. I thought it would be more she'd get a slap on the wrist, you know. And so then I really regret having written that, right? Not knowing what the re, what the true repercussions could be. So what wound up happening? She got sixteen years. Sixteen in years. federal. So though there's no eligibility for parole, I believe if that's the case. Right? That's right. Right. So then I went to visit her because I felt really bad about that last note I left for her, and um, so I, I go there and go she, where. To visit her at the prison, federal prison in Dublin. Oh. Yeah, so I went there, and it was really sad. You're, like, waiting to go through security, right? And there's people in front of you and back of you with, like, you know, kind of drawings of Daddy in prison. (laughs) Like, I miss you, Daddy. And there's, like, balloons and, you know, all these (laughs) Kids, You know, these, oh God. Uh, you know, uh, you know, kids holding like little drawings that they made of daddy in oh jail and, you know, hugging mommy and balloons and sunshine. I miss you. Hope to see you soon, daddy. Just tragedy. Right. Really sad. Right. Heartbreaking. Really uh, heart wrenching. So then, you know, like, I don't know really what to expect. Um, they give you a little locker. You put your stuff in there and maybe they give you a piece of paper and a, a small pencil so you can make some notes if need be. And then like I waited, you're like waiting for the booth to open, it opens, and then she comes in, and she didn't know who it was, you know, because she wasn't expecting anything from the lawyer, and, you know, she wasn't expecting anything from a family person, and uh, um, so she, we sit down, and and she's uh, unhappy that I'm there, and so I feel even worse, you know, and but I don't want to make her feel bad yet at the same time i'm kind of i have a morbid curiosity about it. i think part of going there was i had a bit of a morbid curiosity what i might find but i also truly and sincerely felt bad about the last text i had sent to her i had i thought there's no way this was going to go to jail i mean i just had a very naive view of what it was but i mean it's not like she was going against a corporation she was going against the government with an yeah. endless number of resources with high stakes it turned out this thing had turned into an international event with protests in India and Hillary Clinton had to actually go there to kind of assuage the tensions of of the protests in India so that's Where were they protesting? They were protesting because everyone who got a student visa through her university was then required to wear like like a ankle bracelet like a you know in a, India no, here in the U.S. So oh, there were all okay. the students who came here through India. Yeah. Then they were like sent back to India. They you all know, got to, deported. Yeah. They all got deported or they had to wear like an ankle tracker. What yeah. are those things called? Yeah. So it had become an international uh-huh. scandal. Uh-huh. So we're there and she's like, what, why are you here? And I go, well, I just I felt really bad about what I last said to you. I, I had no idea what this was all about. And um, she goes, John, you shouldn't be here. I have a boyfriend. And so have you ever been blown off by a woman in jail? <laughs> I mean, I've been blown off from women in the unemployment line at like the nonprofit community psychiatric clinic. But to be blown off by a woman in prison. <laughs> Man. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. that's that's talk about striking out. And I go she goes I have a boyfriend I told you this I'm like did she had she told I, you she, that you have- she she had some weird guy in her life you know like so this is so I go and she goes I'm going to be here for I could be here for 20 years and then I go I don't know how this came out of my mouth I said I'll wait <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes you will <laughs> Which is sort of like you know she was kind of on or off, right? She was like a kind of a broken ham radio. Either she was on, and you were like, "Oh my god," you know, or she she really had like a split personality, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like you know she was super clingy, or she treated you with disdain. But there was definitely something off about her. And then she goes, "Look, it, you're here, and I'm missing my Jerry Curl class." <laughs> <laughs> learning how to give jerry curls yeah i think that was like one of the classes you know so and she she talked about how every all, all the other girls in prison thought she was so awesome you know <laughs> they thought she was so cool and uh she had two beautiful daughters hmm. teenage daughters like like 12 and 11 when this all happened Oh, that's terrible. i mean what is what is the psychological impact on your daughter. That's awful. When people go, where's your mom? Oh, my mom's in federal prison. (laughs) You know, like how, how do you work through that? I mean, you definitely would need counseling, wouldn't you think?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. That's tough. That's, that's really, uh, that's a tragedy.
2: Right. Yeah. Blown
1: off by a woman in prison.
2: Right. A woman behind bars. And so then she um, said, I'm going to set you up with another woman in prison. (laughs) And so this other woman in prison started writing me. Oh, my God. And so I, I you know, I just, I just didn't write back, you know. Oh. Right. Oh. <laughs> who, who was she? Um, it seemed like just like some woman who, you know, got checked up for, you know, attempted robbery or something <laughs> like that. Well, aim high, man. Right. So uh, yeah, I just kind of let that shine on. No, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Think of where
1: that could have gone.
2: I know, I know. That could have been the, that could have been the, you know, the woman of my dreams.
0: Has anyone ever
1: thought you were gay? I think, you know, I mean, certainly when you're a kid, you know, people say that. But I've never had, I don't think I ever had a woman think I was gay, like a woman I dated or a woman I was
2: pursuing. I Uh, thought one of the women, when we went to Gold's Club that one night, thought you might be gay. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Right. There's... A Vietnamese woman with a lazy eye That gave me kind of the air, air guitar equivalent of a lap dance <laughs> Whereas her butt never touched my lap <laughs> And she goes, is your friend gay? <laughs> and so I go
1: Probably I go, oh, because I didn't want a lap dance
2: Right, right And I go, no, he's not gay And we ended up that night Because it was all dudes at Harry Denton's Starlight Room So we went to Gold's Club we were we were just wandering around the
1: the streets of the city bored not sure where to go. Right. We 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 walked down South of Market and we see that billboard of this little pint-sized runt guy in in a suit and tie and a bald head <laughs> and a statuesque blonde on either side of him like at least a foot taller than him. Right.
2: And it says Gold's Club. <laughs> right. These Amazonian women. And so when we were there, that so night, we're like, I'm like we gotta th- go there, right? Who's that little bald guy? He's like, oh, he's the guy, like he he's like the, uh, you know, he's like one of the Budweiser drive truck drivers who brings Budweiser to the club. And so they go, hey, this guy would be perfect to do a billboard with because he represents all the losers that come into this club. So Harry Denton's Sterling Room had had run its run its course. It seemed like you know, no more. No longer was it paying dot com dividends, you know. As far as the place to be that Wednesday night, so we ended up there. And I remember you talking to this woman who was couldn't talk enough about how excited she was to go to law school. Although I don't even think she applied.
1: She was uh, she was a dancer or a waitress or she both? was a
2: dancer and she was yeah. talking about how she wanted to be a lawyer to fight for the little person.
1: And she was saying that, you know, well this is just my my job, you know, for now to get me through law school, but really I'm going to be a lawyer.
2: Right, right. And so
1: But there was something about it though that seemed like contrived. This was maybe a distant dream that had not really started to fully form. Like she wasn't in law school, she was maybe like part-time community college thinking she wanted to go to law school something like that
2: right and so the thing that i thought you found disingenuous was the fact how she was committed to going to law school to help the little person the person disenfranchised you know with no voice no way to possibly change the balance of power in their favor
1: I wanted to see if she'd completely thought that through because a lot of people who start law school they have that kind of idealistic an, an idealistic view of what being a lawyer is all about, but then when you start practicing, most lawyers figure out pretty quickly it's it's something pretty different
2: right now do you remember the anecdote you told her
1: well, I told her I said um, okay, I want to give you a hypothetical. I come to you and uh, i've been uh, discharged from my work because uh, I ha- I am HIV positive. I have AIDS. And uh, she goes, oh, you mean like that guy Tom Hanks in Philadelphia? And I'm like, no, not like him. That guy was gay. He was being discriminated against. I'm just a pig. I'm just a, a straight white guy who, you know, went out whoring around town and and didn't use a condom and got aids and now I'm coming to you saying you got to you got to defend me look i'm not some kind of victim all my life i've run roughshod over women and minorities to get to where i want to go look i'm just a pig and she, and she, i go look at me i'm in a goddamn titty bar and she looks and says she just looks and and, and she's just
2: disgusted with me and before she even Went to a bouncer. I don't remember that. I remember her saying, well, then you deserve to be fired. <laughs> and she went over and talked to the uh, the bouncer, I think, and,
1: you know, pointed out, at, pointed at us. And he came over and he's like, everything OK over here? We're like, yeah. But, you know, look, if if I if I helped her to really think through her her life decisions, you know, I hope I hope that I was I was helpful in some way. I don't want to discourage her from going to law school, but, you know. At the same time, I think there are a lot of people who go to law school who don't really know what it's about, and when they come out, they wind up being unhappy because they didn't realize that it wasn't consistent with the idealistic idea that they had.
2: Well, the icing on the cake was when you told her, like, look at me, I'm in a goddamn titty bar, it was kind of an affront to her view that this was more than a titty bar, (laughs) that this was... (laughs) A regal establishment that just so happened to have strippers. She
1: did. She did seem to have kind of bought into the illusion that this was a gentleman's club, right? That was uh, a high class establishment,
2: right? Well, I went through a phase um, where everyone thought I was gay, which yeah. of course I thought was very flattering, right? You know, but I was so surprised by even the. People I'd play basketball, the dudes at the Y I'd play basketball with, you know, like it was getting around that maybe I was gay, you know, and, uh, but there was an uncertainty. And I remember when someone would call me, eventually I got into like a rhythm of going, Hey, I gotta tell you first off, uh, I'm gay. <laughs> and then inevitably every guy would say, well, I, w- I always knew that. <laughs> So that really cracked me up <laughs> <laughs> But I was telling you That I had a boss who thought I was gay yeah. And when he gave me uh, You know like a little promotion For uh, doing good work On a recent white paper He goes like here I'm going to give you $200 I just want you to go ahead You know that's going to be on your exp- You Go ahead and expense that Do with it whatever you want You know take some guy you like to go out dancing with to dinner <laughs> <laughs> and I go, well, that's, that's a weird <laughs> goes, No it isn't So he kind of caught himself, I think, in his effort To kind of get into my gay world You know, <laughs> try to connect with me on a gay tip He probably realized that he didn't know how to finesse that He was trying to kind of ingratiate himself with my, he's my gay lifestyle like, He's, he's down, down with your gay life Yeah, he's down with the that's cause That's okay Right, I, I don't disapprove. He was like, "Look at how, look at how free, free spirited I am," <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so you, why don't you, you know, why don't you go out to dinner? Maybe take some guy you like to go out dancing with. And so, <laughs> so was I mean, like trying to like, hey man, I know gay people like to dance, <laughs> you know. So I think he was really down, trying to say he was down with the cause. And so, uh, did you did you break the news to him? No, I didn't. But every time he had a party. You know, like I'd bring like a different beard, you know, to the party, which I think everyone kind of assumed was a beard. Like, oh, here's girl for the day, you know, <laughs> to bring to the party. And so then I kind of play it up a little bit. Like when we were having teams for Pictionary and uh they'd be like, what is your team going to be? And uh I said, well, our team should be team by Curious. <laughs> <laughs> and then like. We'll say Dave Dave on the other team Who I worked with goes. you're always On that team (laughs) So So you know I'd I'd play I'd play into it A little bit as well
1: Did you Did you Reap any Benefits from that Uh, I mean Do you think That gives you cover To be a little A little more uh, I don't know Libertine In the
2: workplace uh, Yeah maybe One time There was A a woman Who I I Was Attracted to And she was You know Kind of on, like, a little ladder to kind of put something up on the calendar board in the common area. And I'm like, Do you need me to hold your hips? You know? <laughs> and she's like, I'm good, you know? But I think it's because, like, I was kind of, I had a little bit of. A, you put a little swish on it. I put a little swish on it, and it makes it all good. Mm-hmm. Like, when you swish it up, then I think, uh, you know, women are more open to those sort of flirtations. A flirtation with a swish is I mean, okay. Just swish up your flirtations. That's what, my advice to guys.
1: What 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 woman is is going to try to claim sexual harassment against a guy who is assumed gay right. in the workplace? Right. How's how's that going to work?
2: <clears throat> right, it could backfire miserably. <laughs> right. So as long as you play the gay card, you can say anything you want.
1: Because because as a gay guy, you could come back with, well, you know, you're just discriminating against me because I'm gay.
2: Right, right. You're just singling me out. Right, so that's my advice to any guy who wants to approach a woman.
1: If you want to get a little handsy in the workplace, just sprinkle a little swish on it.
2: <laughs> and then you're golden. <laughs> Do you think men have now become trepidatious about approaching women because of all the all the fucking pigs that have made it bad for every dude, you know, to be a little bold. Oh, hell yeah. You guys are now really trepidatious about how to approach a woman.
1: Well, there there, there was this group of women in France who published a manifesto recently saying that they think that it's gone too far and that they are afraid that now uh, men are afraid to make any kind of romantic advances on women and that it has it has ruined the classic art of flirtation. Right. That's one view. I think, yeah, definitely there's a uh, uh, hypersensitivity right now just because of the climate. Right. And, uh, yeah, it puts a real damper on even approaching
2: a woman. I would say this to anyone interested in dating. My um, two pearls of wisdom would be this. You still can't hem and haw if you want to meet a woman. Let's say you see someone at a cafe. You can't like, uh, with your head down and, you know, you can't flinch, but you need to know how to exit gracefully, you yeah. know, if, if it's a dynamic that's not going to prevail. Yeah. For instance, I always like, you know, I, I have to meet you. I think you've got a great smile, you know, you know, just kind of be forthright. Be demonstrative. Mm-hmm. Don't flinch. You can't flinch. Mm-hmm. Just saying I have to meet you. I just think you're really attractive. And you know, if the conversation is there's a little bit of uncertainty, yes, do you have a boyfriend? And usually if a woman even goes, I have a boyfriend, guys I don't think know how to exit that conversation. You know I, I usually think, say, Would you like another? Would you like another? I like to do this. I like to say He's a lucky guy, mm-hmm. and then you pull your parachute. Well, rip cord. well you pull done. the ripcord on your parachute, and you exit yourself from that situation. It's an opportunity to make someone feel good, and I think having that key exit because I think some guys maybe they put themselves out there, yeah. and the fear of rejection, yeah. kind of taints the whole dynamic of flirting with a woman. Yeah, don't well, be married to the don't be married to the outcome. Well, there's always the
1: fear of rejection, but now that's even made worse by. The fear of
2: incrimination Right I mean can you imagine Actually like meeting someone in a Starbucks You have like a little flirtation You know um, You're like okay let's see what's up with that And all of a sudden <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. And all of these like
1: Webcams on drones fly in And you look at and all of a sudden Your face is all over Facebook With hashtags on it right. And you're like on national news This sexual harasser at Starbucks is now
2: (laughs) banned from any contact with women. Like there's like a console of every boss you've ever had on these drones. And they're all like looking down at you. Like, you know, you're part of like that council from like Superman 2, you know, and they're all, their faces guilty. They're all on the council, on the console. They're holograms. They're all holograms. Right. <laughs> like... Of every boss you've ever had. We shoot the saw, shoot paw,
0: do do. do.
1: The rules now are so constrained, you know, and so narrow that uh, you can't leave things open for any kind of misinterpretation. Just the, the the parsing of words and and
2: how much you raise your eyebrow. That's interesting you would say that. Like for instance, my my approach would always be. I'd really like to meet you. I have to meet you. You have the best smile in the world. I thought was nice in so many ways. It's sincere. It's unflinching. I think any woman would respond well to how demonstrative that is. And it's sweet. But yeah, I could see just the parsing of words. I have to. And typically, if you don't hear from someone, I like to do just one follow-up. I just wanted to write you one last time. Uh, and see if you're interested in going out. If I don't hear from you, I'm not offended. In any event, I think you're attractive, nice, and charming. You know, something very sweet and gracious. Mm. But speaking of parsing out the words, I thought I would write you one last time. (laughs) Well, that (laughs) sounds like a threat, (laughs) right? What comes after? What comes after that? Like, this is a warning? (laughs) And so then you let a little
1: time go by. You go and camp out on her doorstep. <laughs> she opens up hi. Just, just here to give you another non-threatening chance. <laughs> thought maybe you're not an email person.
2: Right. I knew this one woman. It, you know, we went out once and it wasn't going to work out. But she was um, enthusiastic and kept writing, Hey, did you get my Yahoo greeting card? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd resend the Yahoo greeting card in case you didn't get my last Yahoo greeting card. And I just love. It was the medium for extending a hello was through a Yahoo greeting <laughs> card. Hi, hey, did you get my Yahoo greeting card? Huh? Well, anyhow, maybe I'll stop by your office and like just kind of like you know check in to see if you got my Yahoo greeting card. Right. right yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, or people who send flowers to the office, uh, and like maybe you know nobody in the office even knows you're dating anyone. Right. Showing up at someone's workplace. Hi, I was in the neighborhood right thought he'd say i right it's such a fine line between persistence and stalking there's a fine
2: line between you know attempted murder and assault it's (laughs) it's like i was just assaulting this person wasn't attempted murder come on (laughs) yeah can i physically assault someone without them thinking it's attempted murder well, I met this woman on Match, and we she came over for dinner, and we started watching Kill Bill, and the vibe was kind of on after a couple of drinks, and I started going down on her. And she loved that. She was going crazy. But she was going so crazy, I couldn't get a hard on. I was kind of overwhelmed. She was like slamming her thighs and squeezing, hurting my ears with with her thighs. And and then finally, she's like, let's fuck. And I go, I I can't get hard. (laughs) I go, I'm trying. And she's like, I am so turned off right now. (laughs) (laughs) And it bummed me out because I was really into it. You know, but I was just too into it. I was too into it. You know, it was too frenetic. You know, I couldn't calm down. It was too frenetic, of a dynamic. And you know, like uh, she was squeezing my ears with her with her head. My ears are really sensitive because, you know, I had like a little bit of. <laughs> Well, I went out with a woman who was actually, she was a very sexy woman, extremely sexy. She was actually um, diagnosed as being borderline. Have you ever gone out with someone who's borderline as borderline personality disorder? Yeah, yeah. You did? Yeah, it's not fun. Well, they're they're known for being extremely seductive, very instinctual. They know how to yeah. get guys revved
1: up. Very manipulative. <coughs>
2: very manipulative. Yeah. Fantastically manipulative. And ultimately in the end, they can like leave you as an image of in, in devastation. But they always say, You have to evaluate yourself. What made you interested in someone with borderline personality disorder? And I'd say, Well, you know, the only person who I think has in immunity to a woman, a sexy woman with borderline personality disorder is someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, where, like, if you've only got one sexy woman that comes around a decade and she's, like, borderline, I mean, the, the odds are stacked against you. I mean, that woman, you try to work with that, right? I mean, if you had, I don't have many sexy women coming in, to, in and out of my life, so you meet a sexy woman and she has borderline don't you try to like try somehow to make that work? Well, it's very exciting,
1: and right. um, you don't necessarily know that they have borderline personality if you don't have <coughs> familiarity with a person like that. Right. Um, so you just get sort of caught up in you know the whirlwind of it, which is the the drama, the ups and downs, and you think that uh, you know this is just someone who's very passionate. Or someone who's very complicated, and before you know it, you've been kind of seduced into this whole thing because they seem very interesting. And especially if you have a morbid curiosity, you know, like you and I, then um, you're going to be just drawn into this this vortex that these that these people have.
0: Right.
2: So in the end, you know, you talk about, you know, we were talking about like showing up on someone's doorstep. I found myself doing crazy things, you know, because oh. it would be we would be dating, it would be on we'd get in a fight and then I'd find myself driving by her house and mm. I'm like I'm being crazy. But it's
1: almost like the craziness is catching. You're you're catching her craziness.
2: Right, right. And so then after we broke up, I'm like uh I found out that Air, like once I realized she was borderline, through through her own confession, um, I looked up online and found every guy who'd ever dated a borderline woman goes like, you know, I found myself wondering when she's gonna come back, you know, <laughs> and then I I felt you know she's with a new guy now and she's changed and she's gonna be different. and yeah. inevitably it's the same. They never. Change. Oh God, I you know they the never more... change, but in your mind. You can't fantasize about how wonderful her life is going to be. The borderline woman I dated,
1: her whole thing was she would would say from the beginning, you know, I'm not really monogamous and I sometimes date more than one person. I'm like, well, I'm not really like that. So, you know, you got to tell me if you're going to be dating someone else because I would just like to know. I would just appreciate that. I'm not saying you can't, obviously. I'm just saying, you know, just let me know. And so, you know, we got just close enough and spent just enough time together where it was just the two of us that then, you know, she hits me with, okay, you know, there's this other guy who I just started seeing. And then I'm like, okay, um, I'm not really thrilled about it, but I know, you know, that's your prerogative. And, and then I start getting kind of crazy, too, about, like, getting crazy jealous, getting crazy thinking, like, uh, I've got to fight for this guy. And then the other guy starts getting kind of crazy, too. And he was like a guy who lived in another state. And he starts, you know, like emailing me saying, hey, we got to talk this out. We got to work out, you know, which which one of us gets her. Right. I'm like, I, I don't really want to do that, yeah. I, you know. And uh, and she starts using it like for leverage. And she's like and I'm telling her, look, you know, I don't really want to do this because I'm not really up for having a relationship for somebody who's dating someone else. And she's like, well, then I've got to make a choice. And. First, she tells me she chooses him, and I'm like, okay. Then she shows up at my place, and she's like, no, I want you. <laughs> and before you know it, you're sucked into their whole their whole crazy world, and you start acting crazy, too, because you're like a yo-yo, you know, and she's pulling the string.
2: Right. And so it's like in these forums go, well, you have to kind of evaluate what is your baggage that would make you attract to someone like that. And so I see it both sides. I go, on one hand, you know, of course you have to kind of always be introspective enough to kind of evaluate what it would be to make you attracted to someone like that. But then again, what stupid guy isn't going to be attracted to a seductive woman, right? The only person who I know is immune to that is like Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio because they've got a 100 other seductive women waiting in the wing. I don't
1: know that you need – yeah, I mean – that that's sort of like a blaming the victim mentality. Like you know, well, you've got to look at your own baggage and find out what's <laughs> wrong with you. It's like, I, I really, I mean, do I need to have some sort of predisposition to get involved? I mean, I guess, I guess it's 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 worth looking at. You know, are you attracted to somebody who seems dangerous, or are you attracted to somebody who seems uh, eccentric? You know, you could look at something like that, but I mean, those aren't necessarily bad things
2: right? Right, well people are a complicated amalgamation of qualities this woman, the borderline woman I went out with, would take the gum out of my mouth and sculpt my face in the gum and what freaked me out was how close it was, (laughs) like, so she was very artistic, she was insanely artistic so she would do stuff like that which puts her in rarefied air so she was very rare and unique and uh and so she was very adventurous and uh but then there was all these things that you know which just created confusion um uh, where i was often left wondering i know this is not normal but still i don't know how to get myself out of it mm. right so unless you've gone out with someone with borderline it's hard to explain it And there are certain therapists that won't even see someone with borderline because they're such a pain in the ass to try to diagnose and work with. Mm. Yeah, they really are kind of in their own category as far as personality disorders are concerned.
0: All
2: right, let's talk politics. How about that? In a way, there's a case to be made for Steve Bannon. I mean, that's <laughs> because he is like the worst representative of these ideas of creating an American infrastructure, right? That's well, he the-
1: seized he seized on this whole thing. You see, because it created an opportunity for him and
2: and you know Trump. But and- instead of him, it's too bad it wasn't John Stamos who seized upon this <laughs> opportunity. You got this like handsome. Likeable Greek kid, yeah. and he's and he is championing the idea of an infrastructure. You What's, know? what? What kind of infrastructure would Stamos champion? Well, I think the same as Steve Bannon. I'm just saying it's too bad Steve Bannon championed it because the ideas were to help Middle America, right? You know these guys and you know auto factories, and his ambition was to help the people whose jobs were most likely to be outsourced, correct? Bannon? Yeah. Well, that's what he would claim, yeah. Right. Because there was once upon a time, I remember when I heard about jobs being outsourced, there was a bit of outrage about it. Now it happens and it's just considered the norm.
1: Well, it's just kind of people have just sort of accepted that that's inevitable. But where do
2: these people go? Where do these <laughs> people in the rust belt go? They they don't go. They don't go. They they, they go on opioids and they Right. <laughs> How are they going to transition into an information economy? Uh, I just don't see it. They'll,
1: they'll be they'll be placed on a hamster wheel, and they'll I'm... be running and generating power. <laughs> right. Capitalism will eventually run its course. You know, either there'll be more regulation, a uh, more centralized, regulated economy, or. Or the, or the system will just will, will become unsustainable and it'll break down, and we'll be in some kind of post apocalyptic Mad Max kind of world, which that could be kind of fun. <laughs> Sometimes I'd rather live in a Mad Max world than this one, to be honest with you. Right. I'd rather be like, you know, just living off the, the detritus of, of a broken down civilization, you know, going out every day, you know, with my rifle in one hand and, you know, <laughs> digging through junk. Than than to have to you know sit back and and wring my hands about about Trump and whether I can scrape together a few nickels to you know pay my ridiculous overpriced rent.
2: What would be the most unlikely country to invade America? Would it be Ireland, the Philippines, the South Pacific Islands? You think all the South Pacific Islands would bandy together and like invade America? the Marquesan and Tahitian islands. <laughs> what about the Philippines? There'd be an unlikely invader, huh?
1: I don't know. Those guys, you know, uh, they, they've, got, they've got a lot of uh, pent-up anger, I think. They seem like a very mellow island people, but, you know, they've been just, you know, fucked by the Spanish, by the Americans. They'd show up, they'd, they'd, uh, they'd dig a big pit, and they'd fill it full of wood, and they'd just start taking Americans and putting them on a spit and barbecuing them. Oh, wow. And having everybody just come up and pick flesh off the barbecued Americans and the, eat it. The, the
2: recipes were so delicious, more Americans were calling for more Americans <laughs> to be turned into barbecue. It became a delicacy. Right, Americans just started eating themselves because the Filipinos were clever enough with their recipes.
0: Hit it, Joe! You all know my Uncle Monty, don't you? Monty the Magnificent at your service. Tell everybody oh, how are you are. you coming to see Uncle Monty's big benefit show?
1: You know, a long time
2: ago, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy. <laughs>